Hello, my name is Hang Dan. Freak on the speaker quicker than a band can. I don't pull up on an ego trip cause I'm a mellow man. I'm taking a grandstand with a muck in my hand. I'm butting up a time of jam. Come on, hit my band. People at the bottom always give and never get him. The people in the middle are surrounded by the gretim. People at the top are lots of money never present. The people that are young always behind always in debt him. People at the middle age used to be regretting. Welcome to the Portugal Podcast. We're back. It's the first show of 2023. My name is Matthew Marshall. And here's Tom Condon. Tom, how you going? Long time no speak. I'm fine, Matt. All good over here. Bit cold, is it, up there, I'm guessing, in the north? How are you? Well, the sun's been out for a few weeks, mate. It, it pissed down with rain for a long time. It really damp. But uh, And I know you had some huge problems down there in Lisboa, Tom, with floods going on all over the place. But, um, yeah, loving it up here and just busy, mate. I've been to a few new stadiums this year. Had some nice experiences in Montalegre, which was uh, really cool. I've still yet to finish that article that should come out in the next couple of days. I hope everyone enjoys that. Uh, where else did I go? Gondomar. That was a really interesting one. Of course, Diogo Jota's old club and uh, Lisa, a team that used to be in the top flight, Tom. And the last one I went to was Pevedin, a small club uh, just on the outskirts of Gimenaish there, who were in the Liga Tadesh last season. They got relegated to the fourth division and I went there with my mate Tiago, who's a, a proper journalist, Tom. And he and another journalist uh, interviewed the manager after the game, I went down with them, and the interview took place in the physio room. So you've got the goalkeeper, you know, getting treatment and standing right next to him, <laughs> interviewing the manager. So um, it's really interesting, you know, going from Dragao and, you know, all the huge stadiums to, to these, these small ones and just seeing how it goes down, down and dirty, mate, in the fourth division. You know, it's, uh, I really like that sort of uh, juxtaposition from on all the diff- different off, leagues. Matt. You're ticking so many of them off. Can't be too many left. I've been to 53 now, Tom, in Portugal. Wow. Every weekend I try and get to a new stadium. I completed the Group A in Liga 3. I got a couple to go in the Primeira Liga. Still a few to go in the Segunda Liga, all down your way. And then uh, Group B in Liga 3. And, mate, honestly, I don't know if I'll ever get to go to every stadium in the fourth division because it's obviously split up into four leagues. There's about, what, 60 teams in the fourth division. And they are all over the place, you know. You've got to get out to the Azores, obviously down to the Algarve, east, north, west, middle, everywhere, Tom. But anyway, that'll be a, that'll be a fight for another day. But it'll be it'll be top three uh, top three leagues for the time being. Anyway, how was your Christmas, mate? New Year, all good? Yeah, all good. We had a, our friend and colleague uh, Nathan Nathan Motes came over, and uh, so it was good to spend some time with him. Yeah, I seem to really enjoy his time in Portugal, of course, and the red wine, especially. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was good fun. Bit of a typical Portuguese Christmas, mainly with family. It was funny this year, isn't it? Because in terms of the football, it really did seem to, to kind of with the World Cup and everything, you have almost a, a restart, isn't it? I think that's what they actually call it, isn't it? In most countries, the restart. And it almost feels like a new season. You know, we had a little mini uh, break, didn't we, off-season. And now it's all starting again and, uh, yeah, getting quite exciting. And especially now, of course, with the European competitions, uh, really looking forward to the next few months. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, Portugal kept going, didn't they, with the, the Tasa de Liga games going on throughout the yeah. World Cup. And it, it just, yeah, it just seemed to sort of never end here. Obviously, Germany, some other countries had a bit of a break, but they just keep going. So in between those, Tasa de Liga and Tasa de Portugal and obviously the Primeira Liga and now with the European stuff coming back on it just feels like you hardly get two two days without a game you know it's just it's just non-stop of course with the Monday night games 
we've been trying to sort of find a little break to get this podcast done, and even that's been kind of difficult. But happy to be back, and uh, got a bit of news, Tom, a bit of, bit of back room news. We had to let our old producer go. I know you're going to be very sad about that, Tom, but, you know, it was just too much unprofessional behavior. You know, I don't know how many times we had to bail him out of jail, pick him out of the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, he's losing files and just late with, with, with doing his production work. So it was a shame. We've had a long run. We can't obviously reveal his name because uh, he wanted to stay anonymous, as I would also, Tom, if I was associated with the podcast. But, you know, he's, ha- he's happy. He's got a new job. He actually went over to America, Tom. He's got a uh, new, yeah. yeah, he's got a new job already. He's actually uh, working in politics now. He's, uh, he's, he's got a job as a scriptwriter for Joe Biden. So um, that's incredible. I mean, we're just a well, stepping stone, step Tom. Down. I have to say that is a big step down. Step down. Well, I, I thought it was a step up. I mean, I thought we were just like a mid-level club, you know, uh, just being used as a stepping stone. But no, hopefully he can get his get his act together over there and uh, onwards and upwards, Tom. So look, it's been a pretty exhaustive process to find a new producer, but I'm happy to say that we've got a new producer and uh, it's a it's a woman, Tom. Producer Mel. We're going to wow. call her. We're not going to reveal her full name, but producer Mel. So she's going to bring a nice touch to the podcast. And she's been busy, Tom. She's been really busy. This this concept that's called market research, uh, this is something new to me, where she's actually gone out there and contacted, you know, all of our regular listeners, all of our fans, to ask them what they like, what they don't like, what they want more of, you know, and stuff like that. So that's really interesting. She's sort of relayed a fair bit of that information to me. And, uh, I mean, we should have already discussed this in a pre-production meeting, Tom. That's something we're going to have to start doing, but obviously we didn't have time for that this week, but that's part of our little going pro. She wants us to go pro. She wants us to sort of move up from the amateur leagues to the pro leagues, you might say. You know, we've been pretty half-assed, really, throughout the whole Portugal podcast, but, you know, new year, Tom, new producer, and it's all happening. It's all happening. So, well, you know, she wants us to do video stuff, but I said... We're just a bit too ugly for that. I don't know if we can get our heads on there and, you know, but that's sort of what everyone seems to be doing. She wants to get our podcast on all the platforms, whatever that is. I guess, what is that? Spotify, Apple, something like that. We haven't really cared about that in the past, but that's something we'll, I guess, hope to do. But basically what came out of this market research, Tom, is that what people want is the inside information. They love the behind the scenes stuff, little things in press conferences, stuff managers are doing, you know, what fans are doing. So... We've got to give the people what they want, Tom. It's going to be a whole lot of inside information coming. We'll sort of splash that around the podcast because uh, that was a real big thing that came out of this market research. Look, it's going to be hard to turn pro, of course, but I'm going to actually try with my my articles too on on Portugal. You know, I've got this Montalegre thing coming. I've got a thing in the works for this club, Lank Villavadense, who is a really interesting club. Uh, That might take a few weeks to sort that out. And then um, I've got some, some other stuff going on, which I'll talk about later on. I'm really excited, Tom. I mean, how are you feeling about uh, making a step up? Are you ready? I'm ready. Awaiting instructions from producer Mel. This sounds like an exciting new step in the life of the Portugal podcast. It's a big step. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll all get in on, a, on the uh, pre-production meeting next week. She wants us to use scripts, Tom, which is something we've obviously never done. But apparently, professional podcasts, they use scripts, you know, and they kind of figure out what they're going to talk about before they start recording. But I don't really want to do that, but, you know... Going pro, Tom, you know, you've got to make some changes. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. So really looking forward to that. Yeah, some new segments. She wants to get trivia, trivia going on. So we'll actually introduce that into this podcast. But some of the other segments, we need a bit of time to sort of get sorted out. Um, We're going to bring in a little Portuguese language uh, segment. Tom, of course, you're a genius when it comes to uh, 
Portuguese language and, and uh, how that translates into the English language and all the bizarre stuff going on with words that sort of really have no translation. So that's uh, I'm looking forward to that. And another thing from the market research, Tom, is that people really enjoyed those travel history things I did in those uh, mission podcasts I did back in February and some of that yep. stuff I did in Israel. So I'm going to start, I guess, introduce some of that stuff into the Portugal podcast as well. We're going to do some at the game stuff, maybe a bit of plagiarism going on there, but still, you know, we'll, we'll do some at the game stuff. I'm sure Andy Brassel won't take it badly. Well, I mean, I didn't want to mention Same any names. Well. I didn't want to mention any names, Tom. You know, that plagiarists generally don't do that. But since you've done it already, then uh, we'll just let that slide. But um, look, the rant. We've got a rant for this week, Tom. People really love the rant. And there's no shortage of material for the rant with all the bullshit going on in Portugal. So uh, that'll be good. And we might even take a bit of a look uh, at certain points at the lower leagues. See what's going on in the Segunda Liga. See what teams are looking like getting promoted. And uh, take a look at some of these fallen giants, Tom. Uh, Academica de Coimbra, they spring to mind. And uh, sort of go a bit off, off the track here and there. Anyway, when we have time, depending on what's going on, we'll finish with a seller sale, as we normally do. And of course, we've got a new manager to talk about, Tom. So I'm sure our yep. listeners can't wait for that. But that'll be at the end of the podcast. So let's get started, Tom. We'll start off with the top four in Portugal. So let's start with Benfica, Tom. They had a bit of a wobbly couple of fixtures there at the end of the year. They uh, got dumped out of the uh, Tasa de Liga at Modernense. And uh, then they lost 3-0 in Braga. But they managed to pick things up again, winning a lot of games against, uh, you know, those mid to lower level teams. They, of course, had that 2-2 draw against Sporting Club de Portugal in the Lisboa derby. And then the last game, game I was at, Tom, they got dumped out of the Tasa de Portugal on penalties. Uh, it was 1-1. It was a really interesting game. Gedge scored, and then uh, he had a penalty denied. Alexander Barr got sent off. Musrati equalising. And all the way to penalties, where uh, Mateusz come up big again. Really interesting. Tom, you've seen a fair bit of Benfica. How have you uh, seen them since the turn of the year, and how do you think uh, they reacted after those little setbacks before the new year? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, they were, I mean, let's not mince our words, they were absolutely sensational the first half of the season. <clears throat> I mean, they started all those, uh, what, first, I think it was about 10 games, wasn't it? They just won every single one. And we kept saying, well, yeah, you know, they're doing well, but uh, they haven't really met anyone that strong yet. And then, uh, of course, along came the Champions League. And they just kept winning and they just kept impressing, you know, finishing top of that group with, uh, okay, Juventus, they're not the team they were, obviously, but, you know, still a big European name. And, of course, uh, topping PSG, you know, that you can't argue with that. Probably the most expensively assembled side, uh, certainly outside of England. And, uh, you know, one of the most expensively assembled sides in the world. And, uh, you know, they actually beat them to first place. And then, of course, what happened? Uh, we had the World Cup and a certain Enzo Fernandes suddenly jumped to the attention of the whole world. And that on-off transfer saga uh, ended up with him going to Chelsea, of course. And then the big question was, you know, how would that affect Benfica? 
Uh, they came back. They had that first loss, which actually is still their only technical loss of the season against Braga in the league uh, when they were absolutely awful that game. Enzo actually played, but he was terrible that game. People thought, well, you know, maybe this is all going to fall apart a little bit. Then, uh, yeah, like you said, they kind of steadied the ship. It looked like Enzo was staying. He ended up going, uh, but the results have still been quite impressive. It's actually amazing when you think about it. Benfica have only lost one game, and yet they didn't win the Tassa de Liga. They didn't even make the final four. And they're out of the cup because of uh, the game you watched, you just referred to last week, the contentious incidents, I suppose you could say, especially the, the non-penalty, which has caused, caused a, a hell of a stink. When Benfica or Porto or Sporting get a bad decision, then suddenly, you know, this is a kind of example of why... Portuguese football is rotten to the core and, uh, you know, everything should be ripped up and this is all corrupt. Whereas, of course, when they get decisions in their favour, that kind of just gets a little bit forgotten about and brushed under the carpet. Even though they've had this really very interesting and very impressive five, six months, there is a lot of pressure on them now to kind of, you know, turn that into silverware. Yeah, well, Schmidt obviously brought up the penalty claim, kind of turned it into a positive, saying that they could just concentrate on two competitions now but yeah i mean i didn't actually see that penalty incident very well until i saw the replays in the press conference and it looked you know it looked like a pretty decent shout for a penalty i did see gedge when he went over to the referee and he just couldn't believe that they didn't even go to var which was i guess the main criticism that schmidt and Rui costa had there but yeah you're right i mean benfica you know they 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 also get a lot of decisions i never really talk about decisions or referees that much it's just one of those things. You, you can't excuse Barr's challenge. It was pretty bad. I was surprised Pizzi was actually able to continue. He got to half time. So there can be no complaints about Barr's red card. Before I talk about their squad, Tom, it's time for some inside information. Yeah, so Schmidt came in, you know, wasn't happy with the, the referee, of course, in the press conference. So then he left with the press officer, and after uh, Arthur George had done his press conference, the press officer comes back in, and he says to all the journalists, Rui Kosha's about to speak in the mix zone area there. And it was like, uh, have you ever sort of dropped a bit of food into a fish tank, Tom? <laughs> I know where this is going. And you just see all the fish just bolt to the, uh, to the, to the piece of food. Well, that's exactly what happened. Most of the journalists just, just grabbed their cameras, grabbed their phone, and just bolted as fast as they could to get Louis Costa's thoughts on this game. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, Salvador, the Braga president, went, went before him. And he said something like, you know, there were three great teams out there today, Ars Benfica and the refereeing team. <laughs> so he sort of had a dig. And Rui Costa wasn't going to let that go. So, yeah, he did his thing. As I mentioned in my report, I mean, it was fair play to bring up the penalty incident, but trying to compare the challenge that uh, Barr did on Pizzi and the other one that was at Rasic on uh, Ausnes, was it? They're two completely different things. I mean, you see players step on other players' feet almost every game. I mean, it happens all the time. You could say it was, you know, the different levels of, I guess, intent. But it's not a red card when you step on someone's foot. But obviously, when you almost snap someone's ankle, as Barr did, that's an obvious red card. So that's why I said it was bizarre that Louis Costa would want to bring that up. This is just typical spin, typical sort of stuff to galvanise him and his supporters who are obviously all really upset at the way that they've gone out of the, uh, the, uh, the Portuguese Cup. 
I just thought I'd bring that up, Tom. We'll get back onto Benfica in just a second, but just to kind of back that up, this is something which I think must be really peculiar to Portuguese football because it happens all the time. Whenever, you know, one of the big clubs, especially if there's a, you know, if it's a, it's a big game between two of the big uh, two of the big three, or I suppose you could say two of the big four with Braga, and there's a contentious decision like that, it almost always happens you have either, uh, in this case, Rui Costa, or you'd have the Braga president. He does it a lot, actually, Antonio Salvador, or you'd have, uh, you know, Pinto da Costa, or you'd have the uh, Frederico Verandas, or whoever the sporting president was at the time. They'd, uh, they'd, they'd say that, and actually a few times they've said, okay, the coach isn't going to speak today. Uh, it's the, only the president is going to speak. You know, or sometimes, you know, like happened in, in your case, uh, you know, Rui Costa was, was given his kind of, you know, time, antenna time. And uh, yeah, you're right. All the journalists get really kind of excited and they all, uh, you know, crowd around him. And then the whole kind of aftermath, not only of the match reporting that day, but it kind of sets the agenda for the next two, three, four five days it's all they talk about they go uh, you know again and again and again talking about decisions and then saying oh but then you know this happened four June had us back or you know in January this happened and whatever it's just it's just going round and round in circles I really just get so fed up with it and the I really can't understand this kind of uh, what would you call it uh, or kind of obsession really on uh, you know what the uh, kind of directors or the presidents of clubs, uh, you know, their opinion. He's just giving his opinion, basically, and uh, or putting pressure, I suppose, on the referee. And, you know, there's a there's an expression they always use here in Portugal, which is "quem não chora não mama." So literally, that means uh, you know, whoever doesn't cry doesn't get fed. It's talking about a baby. In other words, you've got to you know make a big fuss whenever something goes against you because then you you know, that, that will somehow put re- uh, pressure on the referees to be a bit more lenient further down the line. So it's just all just going round and round and round in circles, and it just gets so tedious. And uh, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of a shame to see Rui Costa kind of indulging in that, because there was a thought here in Portugal with kind of new generation of, uh, you know, presidents. You've got uh, him, Rui Costa, taken over from. Felipe Vieira, uh, of course, Luis Felipe Vieira was there for two decades, just about 20 years. Uh, Pinto da Costa, you know, he's kind of coming to the end of his reign, for sure. And there's, there was a thought that maybe there'd be, you know, kind of different mindset between the, the new directors and the new presidents, but I'm not so sure now. There was just a tit for tat. I'm sure he'd got word about what Salvador said, and he's like, well, you know, we can't let, <laughs> we can't let that be the last word sort of thing. But yeah, it's just... They just have to control the narrative, Tom. I mean, he mentioned that the the referee was, I think he was the VAR referee, was it, in that Lisbon derby? I guess that's a little nudge to the Liga Portugal to maybe not have this referee officiating any of their games anymore, something like that. Um, but this is just this is typical type of stuff, not not specific to Portugal, but yeah, some of the other stuff is specific to Portugal. Another thing that's specific to Portugal, Tom, I mean, it's more inside information. I mean, this is what the people want, Tom. We've got to give it to them. What's interesting about a lot of Portuguese press conferences, it doesn't happen on the, for the lower, for the teams, 
in the mid to lower level, I, I'd have to really look at it closely. But for sure, the big teams, what they do is they plant someone in the press conference. They work for the club and a lot of them work for the TV, I think, like the in-house TV. But some of them, I, I think they don't even do that. And without getting too personal, so I'm not going to name the club, but one of the top four clubs, the first question is always from this particular person. They're basically reading it from the mobile phone. It's not coming from their brain. So you have to ask yourself, who's sending them the question? That just sets the stage. So that's, they have the first question. This question is basically staged, probably sent to them by the press officer. And then, of course, the, the manager has a good chance from that question, which is really open-ended, to basically go on a huge, you know, I'm not going to say rant, but to give a really long answer and to, just, to, just to set the tone. So that's something interesting I've noticed, a little bit of inside information there, which I haven't seen in Germany. Didn't really, I haven't seen it in any, any other country, I don't think. Seems to be something specific to these top clubs in Portugal. So there you go, more inside information, Tom. Just to go through their team, I mean, we've sort of gone through it a lot. There's really not a whole lot to talk about their defence. Obviously, I wasn't surprised that Barr took over from Gilberto as first choice right back. They did a bit of a clean-out, didn't they? in the winter transfer window. And of course, that Enzo Fernandez thing, I mean, we, we called that so early, it was so obvious that he was signing of the season and he was going to go for big money. I just didn't think it was going to be that soon and for that much cash. I mean, amazing. I mean, I was really lucky to see all of his performances at the World Cup um, where he came into that Argentina midfield and was a really big part of their success there in Qatar. So not a huge surprise, but still, I mean, they made, what, 80 million in six months? <laughs> <laughs> as well as the, you know, as well as the return they got from him on the pitch, of course. Yeah, I, mean, I think the the fee they had to give um, River Plate, you know, some extra cash. Uh, yeah, it must yeah, have yeah. Been a yeah. Sell on yeah, fee. Yeah, like you said, I think eighty million was more or less the profit. Yeah. Because it was one hundred and twenty-seven or something, wasn't it? But they had to give you know thirty or th- over thirty, I think, to River Plate, and then after agents fees you know still not bad is it 80 million just incredible business really the question though matt how much do you think that weakens them well a lot obviously i mean it's interesting you would have thought probably Alstice would have would have, would have just gone straight back into, into that position and covered him but he's just been so effective basically on the left wing and floating around the you know in the in that that, that front three behind the striker um yeah, that that hasn't happened yet <laughs> really impressed with him as well, yeah. And of course, Chiquinho has kind of come out of nowhere. I saw him; he looked really confident in in Braga. He was even dropping back in, you know, in between the two centre backs. Tell you what was interesting, also, uh, it, uh, although I suppose you have to say this was, I think, literally a few days after Enzo Fernandez's transfer had been made official. And you're absolutely right, Chiquinho, uh, you know, pr- pretty much light for light replacement. And when I went to see the Lisbon derby, Benfica against Sporting at the Luge, I tell you one thing which is interesting, the crowd and uh, the fans were really, you could tell, really getting behind him, giving him so much encouragement. It's really good to see, actually, you know, because there's obviously a lot of talk about, you know, this kind of, will this derail uh, Benfica's season? And there was a lot of, quite frankly, and I think in some cases justified real anger at the way that ends of Fernandez pretty much, you know, taking him for a ride uh, for the last, you know, those four weeks saying he won't stay, he will stay. And, uh, but anyway, the kind of upshot is that, is that his replacement, Chiquinho, who, like you said, has been around at Benfica, has been a Benfica player for, I think, two, three seasons at least, and never really managed to, you know, nail down uh, a first-team place, but uh, the, the crowd really got behind him every touch of the ball, almost. And he just—he was good, and he—you could see uh, the kind of effect that 
you know, feeling the support of the crowd it has on a player because he just got better and better as the game went on. And, uh, you know, really, really played, uh, you know, I wouldn't say Enzo levels, of course. He's got that very different skill set. But, yeah, he did a, did a really good job there. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that's, uh, you know, the solution which Smith uses to, you know, to, to fill the Enzo gap. Well, he's not going to be able to play Chiquinho and Florentino for the rest of the season. And I would still expect Alcinas to sort of drop back into there pretty soon because he's not going to do that with João Mario. And he's got a lot of options now. You know, we've got uh, Rafa Silva's back. David Neres been getting a bit more playing time. He sort of dropped out a little while. And, of course, they brought in those two Scandinavians, Andreas yeah. Sheldrup, the 18-year-old Danish winger, and Kasper Tengstedt, 22-year-old Norwegian striker. Just got so many options in up front that... Um, and Gedge, of course. And Gedge has been playing really well, and he's so versatile. I mean, the first time I saw Gedge, I think, was that Pasos de Ferreira. He kind of just took over the Rafa Silva role. But he's also been sort of playing up front, of course, with uh, Gonzalo Ramos uh, picking up a couple of knocks recently. So that's pretty much it, I guess. But you have to really give their scouting department and their recruitment a lot of credit. They've really done well. I've got a couple of questions for, for Schmidt next time I see him and actually get a question in. It's kind of hard sometimes to get a question in. I've got a couple of questions regarding some of these, these new signings and that. But that's all happening for Benfica. Let's go down to Porto now, Tom. This is a team that did nothing uh, in the transfer window. Uh, didn't really have to do anything. They've kept all their pieces together. I just wanted to say that I haven't been as wrong as something uh, like David Carnival for ages. He's completely fallen out of, uh, of the squad. He came off the bench the other day to try and uh, shore things up. Didn't work. That game you're at, Tom. He and Gabriel Verón were really, I guess, two of the main signings and really None of those guys have done much this season. But moving on from uh, that transfer business, which there isn't really much to talk about, Tom, they're flying. They've won nine yeah. in a row. They're keeping plenty of clean sheets, playing with plenty of confidence. And, of course, you saw them the other day at the Alvalad. What did you uh, What did you see from the Dragons down there in Lisboa? Pretty impressive. Just to go back to what you said there, Matt, it's very interesting. Uh, Sergio Conceição, you've got to hand it to him. He uh, He's very much his own man, and he really does... Uh, you know, you have the old kind of cliche that, uh, you know, you spend millions on a player. He's got to play, don't you? Especially in Portugal where, you know, money is so hard to come by. But he really doesn't care one iota about the price tag of a player. Yeah, David Carmel. I think he broke the... Did he break the domestic transfer record? For Braga, 20... Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. All up, but 20 million, yeah, it was a... It was, yeah, it was a, you know, that's huge yeah. for, in Portuguese standards. You know, a massive fee. And uh, he came in, you know, he made a few mistakes, Sergio Conceição, you know, whether it was those mistakes, whether it was his nerves, whether it was his attitude in training or what he was seeing in training, Sergio Conceição decided, okay, yeah, you're not going to be in the team. <laughs> he basically hasn't played at all. And uh, yeah, which is quite amazing when you think about the amount of money. And you mentioned there the, the Brazilian also. and also uh, Veron. And also I can think just couple of seasons back of course they spent a really big transfer fee on the Japanese uh, winger from Portimonense Nakajima who was tearing it up down there and I think they paid about 16 million for him 
He went up uh, to Porto at the Estrada de Dragão. Exactly the same thing happened. Uh, Conceição just couldn't really integrate him into the team for whatever reason and just got shipped out basically without hardly playing a game for them. And so I think it's quite an impressive attribute of Sergio Conceição. He's really demanding. He, this comes through in his press conferences. I'm sure you've noticed it. Um, that he really is very demanding of all his players and it's basically my way or highway isn't it you get into you know this hard working uh, kind of system of ours and you pull your weight whether it's defensively or attackingly uh, and if you don't do it you're not getting a game and uh, you really uh, you know you People talk about Benfica's fantastic season, and it is amazing, but Porto's has been pretty incredible too, as well. And, of course, they've already won the Tasa de Liga. They're in the uh, Portuguese Cup, going well in that, in the semis. Only five points behind now, Benfica. Still got a play in, second half of the season. In recent years, they've struggled a little bit at Alvalade. You know, Sporting have had a pretty decent record. I think I was listening to one of the commentators pre-match, and I think they said Alvalade this century so 20 odd games uh, in the league is the it's the stadium where Porto have dropped most points more than any other stadium well I suppose it had to be either Alvalade or, or the Luge didn't it but it's quite interesting that it was at Sporting it wasn't at Benfica really entertaining game you'll remember Matt the recent Sporting Porto games they've all been really bad-tempered affairs lots of sendings off uh, lots of controversy again as usual the refereeing uh, not this time. Really good game. Uh, you know, both sides really going for it. Porto, they're just clinical. Second goal, again, really, really nice finish from a really talented player who's starting to really come into his own now. Pepe, of course, I know you've talked about him quite a lot, uh, Matt. He's, he's an example, actually, I think, of why he's a player Sergio Conceição absolutely loves because he, he plays anywhere, doesn't he? Right back, uh, through the middle. Uh, on, on the flanks. I remember seeing him also at, uh, in the game Casapia against uh, against Porto, which is actually, a, that was a bit of a surprise draw there, but he was far and away the Porto's most dangerous player in that game. Defensively, pretty solid all the way through, you know, Sporting, Huffed and Puff tried their hardest, but, you know, as soon as Porto went ahead, you really couldn't see any other winner. And yeah, they're looking good. It's going to be interesting to see how far they can go uh, in the Champions League. Of course, they've got a tough opposition now against Inter. Yeah, they always tend to sort of punch above their weight, and it's not going to be easy. The first leg is in Italy, so I haven't seen them for a while, actually, Tom. The last time I went, to, I saw their home game against Somalakal. They crushed Somalakal, and uh, I went to Gimenez when they won 1-0, that really nice uh, goal from Joao Mario. I guess just to go through their team, Tom, you've seen Grijic get a bit more game time, Eustachio, Uribe, really consistent. Of course, even despite the issues with David Carmo, he's brought back Makano, who was he was pretty poor at the beginning of the season, but you know he's been getting a bit of game time. It was him and Cardoso for a while, but Cardoso now is out yeah. with injury. Pep, he's come back from uh, from the World Cup. He's looking strong, and there's, there's some talk about him extending the contract, which would be incredible. He turns 40 in 12 days. It'll yeah. be happy birthday for Mr. Pep. So that's uh, that's a real bonus for for Porto. Even Joel Mario, he's come back in. Of course, he got dropped for some defensive deficiencies but he hasn't from what I've seen been really tested defensively so that'll be interesting to see what happens when he does and then I guess further up you know just to, as, as you mentioned Pepe he was he was even playing at right back but no, he's um, 
you can see why uh, Conseil Sal persisted with him. He's really useful. Galeno's a real weapon out on that left wing, really consistent, really fast, really keeps the opposition on the back foot. And even with Evan Nilsson out, we saw Tony Martinez come in and, you know, show that he can play. It's all going pretty well. And just to get back to the Conseil Sal stuff, yeah, I mean, he's a real psychological coach, isn't he? He really likes aggressiveness from his players. He's intense. He's very, very intense. And if players aren't buying into it, then they're on the outer. Just to sort of wrap up that David Cardinal situation, I mean, you just can't go from being how good he was uh, when he got back from injury last season for Braga. He was really instrumental when they got past Monaco. He was the starter when they beat Benfica, when they beat Porto. So that situation in Braga where he was pretty much the main guy, even though he wasn't the oldest central defender, but he was a real leader. So now he goes to Porto. Of course, you've got Pep there and you've got sort of Conte Sal. Very, very different to Cavalier. It's probably a combination of a whole lot of things, making a few mistakes on the pitch, maybe just dealing with Conte Sal, trying to sort of figure out why it's sort of gone so bad for him. But I still got a lot of confidence in David Cardinal. He's just got to... As you mentioned with Chiquinho, any player, you need a bit of love. You need that confidence. So hopefully he can get that back and, uh, and show Conceição and everybody else why uh, they paid $20 million for him. I'm not sure there's a whole lot further we can go with, uh, with Porto. They're just playing really well. And as you said, five points behind Benfica now. So any uh, slip-ups from the Eagles, and they'll be right there. When they take each other on at the Luge, that's going to be epic. And it could be a real, uh, a real title decider. Okay, Tom, let's have a little quick break and come back with... Braga. Braga, 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 vamos para a frente. Braga, 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 olha a tua gente. Braga, 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 é a nossa glória. Braga, 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 vamos para a vitória. Braga, Braga, Braga. Okay, Tom, Sporting Braga. Isn't it interesting how they just keep winning they keep winning and keep getting it done you know just by the old goal here and there a lot of the time with late goals but um two defeats and they've both been five nil defeats against sporting club de portugal in lisboa isn't that incredible it's incredible i tell you what the two times i've seen them if you ask me to give my assessment of braga on the the, you know, on what I've seen, <laughs> those two games you just mentioned are the two times I've seen them this year, you know, in the, uh, well, actually, I think the last one maybe was the tail end, I think that was December, wasn't it? But the, the two times I've seen them live this year, uh, yeah, got beaten both times, 5-0 by Sporting. Yeah, but taking out those those results, yeah, they've been incredible. Yeah, yeah, they got the, the win, 3-0 against Benfica, we talked about that before, obviously the the game in the uh, Tasa de Portugal on the penalty shootout. And um, yeah, I've seen a lot of this team, Tom. I went down to Pasha de Ferreira and uh, I go to the quarry quite a lot, as you know. And I just love watching this team. Of course, Vitinha, really sad for me. I'd love watching Vitinha. Saw him a lot for the under-21s. He's gone to Marseille for, uh, for about 30 million. So a good piece of business there. And uh, they brought in a right back, a young right back from Sweden, Joe Mendes. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I can only imagine they're not confident of, of holding on to Victor Gomez uh, after the loan deal expires, which is the only reason I can think about that, because Fabinho wasn't too bad. And of course, they brought in Pizzi and, and Bruma. Pizzi, great signing, I thought. I mean, you know, Benfica supporters should know all about him. He was just so good for Benfica for so long, really their key player, so instrumental. It's great to, that Braga picked him up. You know, you just don't lose that class, Tom. Really important in that victory against Famalicão where they, they scored three late goals. Bruma, of course, scored two of their late, their, those late goals. And uh, Bruma doing Bruma things. He's had a really interesting career, hasn't he? He's been all over the place. Talking about Pizzi, 
what kind of uh, reception did he get when you were there at the quarry? Because, of course, I'm sure you saw uh, when he signed for Braga, there was a little bit of a, how can you say, pushback, I suppose you could say, from some Braga supporters. I think there was also a bit of graffiti written, something like that, you know, Pizzi, we don't want you here, because basically uh, the way I, I read that, and it seemed to be that, when he played Benfica, of course, uh, played against Braga many times, and I suppose he didn't do the old thing of if he scored against them, you know, don't celebrate or whatever, which is a load of rubbish in my opinion anyway. But uh, anyway, it's interesting because I was wondering how the fans would take to him. I actually thought that was it's probably a case of, you know, like people ringing up on phone shows and stuff. It's just a few people who kind of have these slightly out there views who actually make the headlines but i suppose the majority uh, you know if you look at it logically i think you have to agree with you it's, it's, it's a great it's a great signing surely yeah i didn't hear about any of that stuff I don't, I, i've really been out of the loop with any news tom i haven't read news since probably before qatar like i've said many times i just try not to read anything because i don't want it to affect my perception about anything but um it's interesting you say that but they would just be idiots surely i mean um, how could you complain against a, a player as classy as Pizzi coming to, 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 to boost your squad? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. As I said, he, his class was on show uh, in those late uh, stages against Famalicão. And, you know, he was the player that got crunched, had to go off at half-time against Benfica. I'm looking forward to seeing him. And uh, I'm sure he's going to provide a lot of assists and uh, just have to see how, how George uses him. Actually, I just wanted to take this opportunity, Tom, to talk about Vitinha. And, right. well, you know what, Tom, it's inside information again. I mean, listeners got to be loving this. And uh, I think you'll love this as well, Tom. So, a friend of mine is involved in the, the scouting game, you might say. And uh, he wanted a bit of inside information on Virginia, So, I did a bit of asking around and found out where he's from. On my way back from Montalegre, I passed by there, and I'm not going to reveal where he's from. I mean, most people, you know, the, the broader area where he's from, but I'm not going to zero in on. But anyway, I went there, and it's just a beautiful part of Portugal, Tom. Rolling hills, it's wine country, it's vineyards all over the place. And I'm thinking, how? where would you play football here? I mean, there's not enough flat space for a football pitch. Like, how would someone from here end up, you know, playing for, for Braga and now, you know... At that point, obviously, he hadn't gone to Marseille yet. But So I go into the local cafe there and I said, look, interested in information on Virginia? They go, yeah, yeah, he's from here, he's from here. And then uh, one of the, the women in the cafe goes, oh, I know where he lives. I know where his parents live. I'll take you there. And I'm like, you can talk to his parents. <laughs> so so we go outside and she gets in her little car and I get in my car and I'm following her. And then, you know, she, she stops outside his parents' house and she gets out. She's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And uh, she's pointing at the house. I'm like, cheers for that. But I didn't really want to freak, freak his parents out, you know what I mean, and, 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 and rock up and knock on their door. So I was sort of happy with that much information. So I just sort of checked it out. And his whole backyard is, just, is, is vines, Tom, and grapes. So, so then I found the local pitch, which is not that close. He would have had to do a fair bit of bicycle riding over very bumpy ground to get there. And the pitch is, I guess, yeah, a bit, a bit lower down on the other side of the town there. I went down there and there was a bunch of, it must have been like over 50s, you know, uh, the older guys having a game there. So I managed to get in there and see this ground. It's artificial, but I'm, that must have been where he, he did a lot of his junior stuff. 
before he went to some of those those bigger local clubs, I guess. And then so I said to I said to my mate, I said, look, I don't think I need to ask anybody anything more. I mean, I know what these people are going to be like here. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't you don't get along in a small village like that without being a nice guy or his family not being nice people. You know, everybody knows each other. Um, it's just a real community feel. So I, I basically said, you're not going to have any drama with, with Virginia off the pitch. So the, the question then remained, Tom, is how could this guy get become so aggressive? How could this guy be, you know, he's a warrior. We, we talk about that so yeah. often. He's, he's so tenacious. He just never gives up. We saw that great goal he scored. Uh, was it against Bolvistra? I can't remember where he ran through right at the beginning of the second half um, where that he, he pounced on that back pass. So and yeah. we've seen him score brilliant goals with his right foot, that one that cannoned off the bar, that left foot volley he scored the other day just beautiful uh, uh, just a beautiful beautiful goal so he's just got everything so i was trying to figure out how would a guy in that grew up in such a nice calm place be so aggressive and so then i found out tom he's only got one sibling and it's an older brother and uh, ah, and that that, that, tell, <laughs> that tells you all you need to know about his aggressiveness obviously he's been his big bro has been beating him at every single game every single sport <laughs> for his whole life and he's just been fighting against the big brother, trying to compete. And that, that has to be it, isn't it? That has to be why he, he became so aggressive. Although, I have to say, it's quite it's funny, actually. You could actually do a, a little investigation into this. There are some people who uh, <clears throat> their kind of off-field persona is completely opposite to their on-field persona. Another obvious example I can give you is the one we've already mentioned just a while ago, and we are talking about Porto, Pep course not Pepe Pep Portuguese Pep or Brazilian Portuguese Pep off the pitch anyone who's ever met him any of his former teammates any journalist you go to just say he's the kind of calmest nicest guy you could ever hope to meet you know it wouldn't hurt a fly or anything and as you can see you know on the pitch <coughs> he is an absolute warrior so yeah maybe uh, Bettina seems to be in a uh, you know same thing uh, but I'm sure yeah his older brother kind of <laughs> brought out a little bit more of that aggression. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's amazing that despite those two 5-0 thrashings they copped against uh, Sporting in, in Lisboa, I mean, as I said, they keep winning. They're, uh, they're still alive in, in the uh, Taça de Portugal, and they've got a really easy run. I mean, if they don't beat Nacional, then I don't know anything about football. I mean, the seven points off Benfica, so look, it's still pretty unlikely, but, um, you know, it's not impossible. But of course, you know, I guess staying ahead of Sporting and, and just holding on to that third spot would still be a real achievement. Really interested to see what happens with them. Uh, you know, Georges, despite his inexperience, has proved that, uh, you know, he can make a lot of good decisions. And, you know, the squad is pretty settled. It's pretty deep. Bringing in those guys we mentioned before as, uh, was really good, really smart business. Simon Banza, of course, we're going to see him get a lot more game time with uh, Vitinha out, and uh, Ricardo Horta has missed a fair bit of game time, so he'll come back too. It's all looking pretty good for the Warriors, and I'm really excited to see what they can do for the rest of the season. Alright Tom. Let's, uh, let's move on to Sporting Club de Portugal. The inconsistency continues. When was the last time I saw Sporting Club de Portugal? Well, I saw them just a couple of weeks ago, Tom, when they won 1-0 in Villa de Con. They beat Rio Ave. It was Chemiti. 
with the the late winner. That was uh, really good for him, and I was really happy to be there to see his first senior goal. But yeah, really inconsistent time. They can't really seem to go on a run. Although although they did go on a really good run around that Tassa de Liga campaign, where they um, they beat Braga, Manitimul. Just they thumped a whole lot of teams there. But um, as we've seen, they lost one nil at Manitimul. They got the draw at Benfica, which was good, but then they lost against, uh, or both uh, home games against Porto, one to go out of the Tassa de Liga, and of course the other one that you're at. You're, you already mentioned what you saw from the Dragons in that latest uh, Clásico, so what, what were you seeing from Ruhlman Amonim's team in that last match? Yeah, it's kind of the story of sporting season, I'd say. You know, they played some nice football, uh, but, you know, very inconsistent. First, uh, it's quite cagey, first 20 minutes or so then, you know, it's really, I think, you know, again, going against one of the best teams in, in the country, definitely Porto, who themselves are flying. You know, they matched them and they, they created some chances. But uh, this is, like I say, kind of a bit of a microcosm of Sporting's season. There's been some bright spots, like in this game, obviously the performance of Schmitty. I thought the, the other new central defender who they bought, uh, Diomande, he, he looked really good. He came on just for the last uh, 25 minutes, half an hour maybe. Uh, he looks like a really solid buy. Um, Artur Gomes, you know, he was involved, like I said, almost scored the equaliser. Uh, brilliant save, again, by Diogo uh, Costa. And his cross for the Schmitty goal was superb. And uh, Manuel Ugarte, another good performance by him. But it's kind of just flashes here and there, uh, you know, Good performances by some players, uh, so-so performances by other players. They really just can't seem to, like you said, get a run together where, you know, everything kind of clicks. Uh, it just really hasn't happened throughout the season. And it's certainly, and like I said, quite often in games, you know, uh, it happens. Not quite sure why that is, I think. I suppose one of the main reasons is there's just been so much change, Matt. You know, you look at Sporting's, uh, lineup, you know, it's virtually game to game. You know, I know they've been hit by injuries as well, but uh, that, for instance, the season they won the league. Uh, so two seasons ago, now three seasons ago, it was all it was a you know I think there's about 14 or 15 players who played the whole season. You know, they were lucky they didn't get any injuries. Really settled 11, and although it was very inexperienced and a very young side. You know that made a real difference. Everyone knew exactly what they were, what they had to do. You know this time, uh, this this time round, it's just been chopping and changing all season round. I mean, there was a big surprise in the in the Classico with the wing backs, of course, uh, Fata Wu, uh, who's a who's actually a a winger. Uh, you know, quite an exciting young winger from Ghana, 18 years old as well, I think. Uh, he was. He was picked as the, the right wing-back, you know, uh, sorry, the left wing-back. And, uh, and, of course, new signing Hector Bellerin was, uh, was on the other side. So, you know, it's just chopping and changing the mm. whole time and really just hasn't been able to get any continuation at all. Amarin, I think that's really been the, the, the reason for sporting this you know, disappointing season. Yeah, losing Potter was obviously a blow. You know, he's one of their better players. And they just keep, they just keep yeah. losing their better players, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you just can't compare the squads of Sporting to, to Porto. I mean, Porto's squad is just so much better, so much stronger. And it wasn't really much of a surprise as soon as I saw those wingbacks you mentioned. I didn't see any other result here than, uh, than a Dragons victory. But 
I just wanted to bring up, I just noticed when I saw them at uh, Villa de Con the other day, of course, uh, Coates wasn't in the team, and it was one of the best performances I've seen from Inacio. Maybe some of these guys are better when you don't have that, you know, that really dominant, experienced guy next to you. Like, when, when Inacio can kind of, kind of be the main man, you know, maybe that sort of changes his mentality uh, instead of sort of sitting next to Coates. Adan is just... I don't really want to talk about Adan again, and even Eshgayo. What I found interesting is that, uh, as I said, I don't really read news or really get involved in any of the narratives, but I did overhear some talk about, after losing this game against Porto, how Sporting now are definitely out of the title race. I mean, at what point were they even in the title race? I mean, wasn't it obvious after about two games this season that they had no chance of winning the league? Like, is that just another bullshit narrative here? Just newspapers having to talk about something? I mean... Is that something that even came into your mind after this result that, okay, now Sporting can't win the league? Or is, I mean, would it have been maybe if they had got the three uh, points uh, here, a uh, big yeah. turnaround or something like that? Is that what they're getting at? Maybe after the, after the you know, the World Cup break, like you mentioned, they went on that good run in the, in the task of the Liga, won a whole lot of games in the row. But then I think it was as soon as they lost against Maritimo, which was, uh, you know, by the start of January, then they had to go to Benfica their next game. So... You know, I think some people were talking before that Maritimo game and said, like, oh, if we beat Maritimo and then we beat Benfica, I think the difference would have been seven points. And, you know, Sporting, I think that would have made it about 10 wins on the road. I said, yeah, you know, it could still be on. But yeah, losing to Maritimo was a killer. And then they actually played quite well against Benfica, but, you know, that ended up in a draw. And so, yeah, from that point onwards, you know, 10 or 11 points difference, uh, it was completely unfeasible really and uh, yeah losing against Porto no I think it's more I think what some people have said which I agree with is this really kind of gives sporting a very tough job even to get Champions League football let alone you know forget about the title to get Champions League football obviously automatic qualification is only first and second place clubs this season get mm. that so uh, that looks like a, you know Benfica, <laughs> Porto and Braga, probably Benfica and one of Porto and Braga will, uh, will occupy those places, you would have thought. Sporting, the only thing they can really, but everything has to go perfect and they have to hope that probably Braga have a bit of a fall off uh, to try and grab third, third place and a chance for that qualifying. You know, but even that eight points difference at the moment, it's looking quite unlikely, you have to one say. One thing in their favour is that Michelin are a very beatable opposition obviously in the Europa League and they don't really have that many difficult fixtures in the next couple of months I mean you'd have to go down you know right near the end of the season so you know having no Portuguese cups uh, to play for might help them a bit as well but I would I would think he'd be targeting the Europa League if I was Amory now I think I would look at this and look at it exactly the same as when he came into uh, sporting so he came in four seasons ago now and he came in it was just before the pandemic I think he had one game then everything stopped because of the pandemic and then when things restarted he had about 10 games that season and what he did then is he just threw on uh, basically he prepared he used those 10 games to prepare for the next season he experimented a lot he chose a lot of young players uh, he got his system in place and so what did that mean that meant when the next season started he knew exactly uh, you know, his start in 11, uh, he knew exactly his system, the players knew his system and they were ready and they really hit the ground running and never looked back. And I think that's got to be his attitude now. He's got to look at this. This season's a write-off 
uh, obviously try and get as far as possible in the Europa League, <coughs> try and get third place. Obviously, that's not you know not a question of throwing in the towel. But really, I think the main emphasis for Sporting for the remainder of this season has got to be preparing as well as possible for next season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You summed it up well. Just about looking at some of these young guys. I mean, Schmitty, who knows how far he can go? Who knows how good he's going to be? But, you know, it's exciting. These are the sort of things you want to see, you know, bringing these young guys in. You know, he's full of confidence. He's bagged a couple of goals. Shown a bit of versatility in the way he's scoring those goals too. So he had a lot of enthusiasm. And what an interesting place he comes from, Tom. Santa Maria, the, 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 the island in the Azores there, um, south of uh, San Miguel. I was really fortunate to go there um, a couple of years ago. Just beautiful. That's the island where they have the, um, the old American airbase and still a lot, of, uh, a lot of barracks that used to be there. Um, and the western side of the island is really dry and flat where they have that. And then you go over the east side and it's all rolling hills and green and cows having the time of their life. So he's got some Tunisian heritage too. So really interesting backstory. One of his youth teams was called ACF Pauletta. Of course, Pauletta coming from Ponta Delgada in, uh, in San Miguel. So I'm guessing he, he headed over to, uh, to San Miguel. It's about a four-hour ferry trip over there. So I'm guessing he headed over there. So really unique bit of, uh, bit of heritage there from uh, Shemiti. Um, not often you get players from the Azores and certainly not uh, the, the island of... Uh, Santa Maria so really interesting stuff and uh, I really hope uh, he does well and uh, has a good uh, rest of the season all right Tom let's have a quick break and then uh, we'll talk about best of the rest Alright Tom, we haven't got too much time left. We went pretty thoroughly through the top four there because we haven't, you know, talked about them for well since before the World Cup. So it was good to sort of get that out of the way. But just to give a bit of love to the other teams, Tom, I'll just run through them myself and then I'll, I'll see what you've got after that. So Gimaraish, I thought it was really interesting that Moreno made two really key changes in both matches in Braga. The first one was switching to a back three, bringing Bamba in there. And the second one was really going with the three silvers, Anderson, Andre and Jota up front. You know, those two changes have really been interesting. Of course, Anderson got suspended, but um, they got fifth spot. I've seen a fair bit of them uh, in recent weeks, so pretty good for the Conquerors there. Casapia, I saw them last night. They got the nil-nil draw at Bolvista, really missing Lello and Godwin. I mean, good to keep a clean sheet. They've been having a bit of bad luck and, and conceding a lot of goals, but look, a bit of st- uh, stability now, I guess, after that result. Uh, Aruka, I saw them for the first time in a year, Tom the other day, and I can't even remember where it was. It was at Gil Vicente. That was the 1-1 draw. I was really impressed with the Rooker. They've done some really excellent work in the uh, in the recruitment and the scouting department, really doing some fantastic things there. They're flying. They're up in seventh. Shavs, without disrespecting Shavs, I think they're probably the most boring team to watch. They seem to just, you know, hang in there, hang in there, scrap and scrap and scrap. You can't blame them. I mean, they got promoted. And, you know, every point is, is valuable for them. But I, I can't say I enjoy watching Shavs. Bowl Vista, I said I watched them last night. I see a fair bit of them. I've been to the best a fair bit. Petit's got a pretty decent side. Mangash is really playing well. Godet's fallen out of the side. But MG, he's on fire. You know, they're decent. And they could go on a bit of a run. They're just going to sort of turn some of these draws into wins. Vizela, 
Again, trying to stabilize. Who's the na- manager there? I can't remember his name, but he took over from Pacheco. Uh, Tulipa. What's interesting with that is he doesn't really, I don't think he's doing anything different than what Pacheco would have done. Uh, so, uh, and we had the, uh, the, the president come out recently and talk about uh, his plans and how they want to, you know, be a regular fixture in the Primera Liga, of course, you know, haven't got many seasons under their belt in the top flight. Leo, I've, I've seen them a little bit scrapping again. We heard Friere say basically, you know, um, they're on target for their objectives, which is just, again, same as Chaves, just stay in the division. Uh, Porto Monense, I've seen them a couple of times. They are not good. They are not good. They've really fallen away and, you know, new signings. Um, trying to just sort of put those pieces together and, and stay away from any any relegation dramas. Gil Vicente, another team with a new manager, Daniel Souza. And, yeah, they've improved a bit. Of course, you've got Fran Navarro. They've got a pretty decent team. Uh, their results just haven't matched what they're, they're capable of. So it's good to see them easing away from the relegation zone. Estoril, I haven't seen them for ages. But, again, they've fallen away big time. They're really struggling. Uh, for Malacal, um Again, really inconsistent, really, really weak defensively, I thought. Santa Clara, really been struggling all season long. Nothing much to go on there. Maritimo, what are they on their third manager of the season now? Um, conceding so many goals. Just Did you see what, who was it, Edgar Costa, was it? Or one of the Costas completely, completely losing yep. his mind? Um, uh, yeah. That was interesting. But, um, and isn't it interesting to see a Portuguese manager who wears a suit uh, f- for every <laughs> <laughs> compared to some of the tracksuit warriors um, and some like Pacheco or you know like some of those guys uh, who couldn't care less about their, their, their form of attire and Pasha de Ferreira I mean you know I mean they sacked uh, Pachotto brought in who was it uh, this is how how professional we are Tom Motta I mean that was just bizarre yeah. Then they get Pacheco back, yeah. and uh, I've seen a few of their games, and yeah, they've had a lot of bad luck this season. Just a lot of players doing a lot of dumb things that's sort of outside of Peixoto's, you know, control. But uh, yeah, who knows what can happen with them? And we'll say again, you know, for anyone that wants a bit more of a deep dive into these teams, we haven't had time to discuss. Of course, long ball football podcast, Albert and Barney. That's where you need to go to uh, to get more information on those teams. We just don't have time. And we don't really have that much to say about them at the moment. Tom, you want to jump in with anything on those teams? A couple of these teams are really kind of outperforming their size. And I'd like to just give them a little bit of a shout, which is Casapia, of course, and Aroca. Casapia, there's a, a, a Talk of the Town feature we did on them. So head over to the site and you can see lots of information about them. A bit of explanation of how they've managed to uh you know first time in the top flight since for 83 years and uh you know tiny budget compared to almost all their rivals and they've just uh, completely outperformed uh what they you know what you would expect from them and yeah really good story uh, i agree with you uh, matt they've kind of fallen away a little bit i think since since the turn of the year but you know they're still in sixth place uh it's a bit of a shame uh, to see them miss out on a possible uh, Taça de Portugal uh, Portuguese Cup semi-final of course got beaten by Nacional they got, had a player sent off early on and that kind of ruined their chances but uh, you know whatever happens if Casapia lost every game this season 
they wouldn't go down and they'd still go down a successful season. They're not going to do that. They're going to pick up plenty of points still. So, yeah, really tremendous story there. And, uh, and O'Rourke as well, like you said, you're absolutely right, Matt, there. I think the, the story of this <laughs> team is really, you know, a, a triumph to clever recruitment and, you know, what you can, how you can build a strong team without having much money. You know, some really, uh, they just play some beautiful football. That game you you mentioned that you watched, uh, was it against Passos when they draw 1-1? Uh, no, Gilles Gil Vicente, yeah. The, the Rocker goal, I would urge yeah, everyone to, to look that up. It was just an absolutely wonderful goal, team goal. You know, seven or eight uh, players touched the ball, uh, area to area, left to right, almost all one-touch football. Really clever finish from the Palestinian striker who, you know, we should give him a shout at Oday Daba. He's having a fantastic season, 24-year-old. And, you know, how many Palestinian footballers have you heard of? Uh, that's the only one I've heard of, and uh, you know he's really doing his country proud because he's been a revelation this season, and uh, and also their central defender as well, Basel, really solid player. You know he's been really impressive all season as well. One of the best central defenders in Portugal, I'd say, certainly outside of big clubs, and uh, the big English guy as well, Jerome Opuku, uh, when he's not getting sent off, <laughs> which I think he has maybe three times this season. He's, a, he's actually uh, been a very interesting player for them. And, of course, they've got Alan Ruiz, really classy uh, Argentina, you know, former uh, sporting player. Quite like the fact that, you know, a player with that kind of career and that kind of CV is playing for a club like Aruca and apparently is happy there. Well, he's certainly, you know, showing that in his performances. So, yeah, two really, two clubs, I think, who, you know, really showed that uh, you know, if you are well organised in this league, you know, you can you can have good seasons. Yeah, it's really been the story, hasn't it, this season about the promoted clubs. It's not often you see all three promoted clubs survive. And it's not often you see promoted clubs just doing so yeah. well and even fighting for, for fifth spot. So, yeah, you've got to give Kazapia a lot of credit. Of course, I, I mentioned Lelo and Godwin. I should also mention uh, Vasco Fernandes, who was a guy I highlighted when I f- saw Kazapia at, uh, at Pastos de Ferreira months ago how he is such a key player in the heart of defense so um yeah to get that yeah. result last night without those three guys was pretty good and of course yeah super unlucky against nacional i mean they had joan nunes sent off after 17 minutes despite that they still managed to draw 2-2 after regulation time and then bashko fernandez sent off at the beginning of extra time when they just couldn't hold on with nine men so yeah they've got a, a good chance now just to get back to playing one game a week and um we should also mention they had no home advantage this season tom um, you remember that game against Benfica? Yeah. They had to play it up in Leiria. And even this game against uh, Nacional, they had to go down to Setubo uh, because, because their pitch yeah. had been taken yeah, over well. by some rugby game or the, the one in Jamor. Exactly. And um, so they've had, yeah. they've, had, they've had it tough. They haven't been able to, to play at their home stadium. You normally see with promoted clubs when they're doing well, it's based on the home form, you know, and these t- tough to go, yeah. go to grounds and you know, really boisterous, you know, supporters, but they haven't really been able to utilize any of that. So you've got to give uh, Philippe Martins so much credit. And he's a manager on the up, Tom. I would say he's a manager on the up. So interesting to see what happens here. And just to just to cap off uh, at Orca, if you sort of want to measure their recruitment strategy against other clubs, for instance, let's say the OAV, who don't really search far and wide. I mean, some of the stuff that Aruka have done, they've, they've gone to MLS, 
Liga, of course, Brazil, Uruguay, um, Guinea, Azerbaijan, and even Scotland. They've really got their, their analytics and their scouting department working overtime and, and finding these bargain players um, because obviously none of these clubs have any money. So they're really just relying on free transfers and, um, you know, they're, they're riding high, flying high. And full credit to Aruka and Kazapia. It's awesome. Hopefully uh, they can keep it going on. All right, that's it for the Primera Liga. We're going to move on now. And, uh, well, Tom, it's time for the rant. Oh, it's happening again! My brain! My heart! Stinging! Brain! Ah! All right, Tom, it's time for another rant. And, well, this one's just... Uh, no-brainer. I mean, I didn't even have to think twice about where this one was going. It's obviously the Liga Portugal. And they're back to their old business of, uh, well, waiting really long to release the fixtures. And the last one they released was around that um, Tasa de Liga fixtures. And, of course, they're going to say, well, we didn't know Sporting and Porto were going to make the final and blah, 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 blah. Look, this just keeps going on and on. And if we look towards March, we don't know what's happening in March yet where anyone is playing. And I say we, Tom, I say every single supporter uh, of every Portuguese football club that travels to away games, international people that want to come over here for a week and, and see some games that have to book accommodation, that have to book, you know, travel. You wouldn't have a clue what's happening. There's just no lead time. And it's a disgrace. It's a complete disgrace. And if they weren't already a disgrace, then what they've done now is they, in their infinite wisdom... They decided to have two Monday night games, Tom. One, one wasn't enough. You've got to have two. And so they have one of them at 7 o'clock and the other one at quarter past nine. Isn't that just a, just a, a brilliant idea? The one we had recently was Sporting at, uh, in Villa de Con, of course, that game I mentioned. So I don't know how many Sporting supporters drove up to, what is it, three hours, three and a half hours? You've got to probably brave some peak hour traffic somewhere along the way to get through Porto. And then, of course, they're stuck in the ground after the game for security and police reasons. So they're probably getting out of the stadium at, what, midnight? Maybe, maybe a bit later. And then they've got to drive all the way back to Lisboa, getting home at, what, 4 o'clock in the morning. So Liga Portugal, in doing this, are putting people's lives at risk. You know, I come from a country where there's a, so much discussion about driving fatigued and how many people die on, on the freeways and on the roads because they're tired and they shouldn't be driving. So Liga Portugal are putting Portuguese football supporters in a very dangerous, dangerous situation. You're obviously limiting the amount of people that can go to the games. Um, so you're limiting the, or the experience for the people. You're limiting the support the clubs can get. I mean, I don't know how many Casapia supporters made the trip up to the Bessa last night. It might have been 50, 100, maybe, something like that. But still, that's decent for a club their size to travel that far. I don't know how many Casapia supporters live up here but this is just complete bullshit and so i keep bringing it up in in so many different aspects because it really affected me in a big way what they did in germany how the supporters rallied together and protested and just forced the german football league to abolish uh monday night football because they said this is we don't want it sunday afternoon is when you have to play football but of course liga portugal are completely obsessed with having every game as a standalone fixture so you very, very rarely see any games on at the same time. I think we saw one the other day. There was two games on on a Sunday maybe um, at the same time. But very, very rarely will you have two games going on at the same time. 
because they want to obviously maximize the TV money, Tom. So, you know, I want to give you the opportunity to probably play devil's advocate here because I'm sure what they're going to say is, look, we need the money. We need the TV money. Um, the clubs need the TV money. And even maybe if you ask some of the clubs, they would say, well, yeah, it sucks, but, you know, it's extra money we wouldn't have had. Obviously, they're going to lose some money through the gate, but they probably gain that through the TV distribution. I'm guessing that's that that's what the argument that Liga Portugal would, 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 would come up with. You want to just try and uh, go on Liga Portugal defence here, Tom? I suppose a couple of aspects you can remember, you can think about this is in Portugal, certainly in recent decades, or certainly since I've been living here the last 25 years, there's not really a um, tradition, you would say, of away support. You just don't really see it. The only time, you know, you see uh, big away followings is when one of the big three, you know, uh, are playing away, and then you get quite a few supporters, uh, you know, Benfica, Porto, sporting supporters, but probably a lot of them also are supporters who live, you know, fairly close to where the game's playing and perhaps don't travel, you know, hundreds of kilometres to see the game. You do get a few, of course, who do that, but it's not so much a tradition as it is in somewhere like Germany, for instance, or England, where you have literally thousands of supporters travelling to all the games. So... But then I suppose you can say this is a bit of a chicken and egg situation because does that happen because, like you've just, everything you've explained there just makes it almost as difficult as possible for away supporters to go to these games? Or, you know, or is it the case that the league think, well, you know, away supporters don't really travel to games, so let's just put, put on these, you know, these fixtures whenever we want. Uh, you know, I sometimes it's interesting, Matt, speaking to some of the older guys or some of the journalists talking about football from before I lived in Portugal, which was, uh, I came here in 1994. So sometimes people talking about the seventies and eighties and you look at the, uh, you know, old photos and you see these games like, for instance, Braga against Stubel, for example, and it would be absolutely packed. The stadium would be absolutely packed. And they said that, you know, <laughs> it was at that time, you know, it was, uh, of course, there's different reasons for that. There's, um, you could say there's more <clears throat> uh, competing, you know, kind of entertainment uh, options nowadays than there was in the past. But, you know, it's definitely something which has really changed. And I think it just doesn't really seem, you know, you asked me to play devil's advocate, but I can't really play devil's advocate because... It just doesn't seem to be a priority at all. It just doesn't seem to be a something which is considered a problem for the Portuguese league, because almost everything they do <laughs> seems to, you know, seems to, uh, in terms of fixtures, uh, seems to just not give any consideration at all to a fan, especially to a travelling fan. I remember a few. This happens occasionally in Portugal. The games in Madeira, <clears throat> Nacional especially, quite often they get called off at the last minute or sometimes they get abandoned because of fog. And I remember this happened a couple of seasons ago and, uh, and so they decided, uh, okay, yeah, I think the game didn't actually kick off. And so they said, okay, we're, we'll uh, you know, reschedule this game. And they rescheduled it for, I think, Benfica and Nacional said, OK, let's just play it the next day. You know, the next morning, the fans are here, travelling fans are here. But for whatever reason, I think there was some clash of TV again. It had to be something like that. 
they said no okay we're going to play this in two days time and so you know that just again completely zero respect zero consideration for the fans you know it's almost like they're a i suppose in in england and in germany you would you know it's a big consideration of uh you know when they're scheduling games you know how would this make life easier for the fans in portugal it really is just the only consideration is tv scheduling like you said oh, yeah. that's the only thing yeah. i can think and of yeah you're absolutely right liga portugal could not care less about supporters but it shouldn't be forgotten tom that you know during the pandemic <laughs> watching games with zero people in the stadium with fake crowd noise yeah without people in the stadium there is no product so that's one thing to consider i've met oh well i'll tell you what i'll tell you what that did uh, sometimes people say oh football you know in england is brilliant you know that the level of football in england is brilliant how can you compare that to, to to portuguese football and i really do think if you look at the games the quality of the games a lot of the time there isn't that much difference but it makes a huge difference having a big crowd i always remember about uh, a few years ago it was belenenses against Gimarange, and it was played i think a couple of days before christmas and they decided they decided they said okay everyone goes in the stadium i think it was one euro or something they or they, they might have even been free of charge i can't remember so you know what matt there was almost 30,000 Gimarange brought down about four or five thousand. Uh, there was almost thirty-five thousand people to see Belenenses against Gimarange uh, at the Rostello, and it was brilliant. You know, it just looked like it looked like a you know a game, you know, an English Premier League game, where you just have you know really good atmosphere, everyone really getting into it. I think the game was, uh, you know, it wasn't anything special. The game, but it, like you say, it's just you know the the product just could be so much better if it was better marketed. Yeah. Uh... I'm going to drop this piece on Montalegre. Then I've got to work on this Lankville of a dense one, as I say. But the next one I'm doing after that is all about this, Tom. And I'm going straight for the source. You know, every Monday night game I go to, I'm asking managers now exactly the same question, which is how do you, your players, and your supporters feel about playing football at 9.15 on a Monday night? So I'm going to compile all of that. I'm also going to try... Well, I'm going to contact every Primera Liga club you know, by email and ask them a set of questions regarding uh, what they feel about it, how their supporters feel about it, um, and how it affects them financially. Uh, and, and were they consulted? You know, did, did, were they asked if they want to do this? Or did the Liga Portugal say, this is it and too bad? If you're going to have two games, why not play two games on a Friday? So I guess if another thing that Liga Portugal would say in their defence would be, uh, look, it helps these teams playing on a Thursday, which is Braga and, and Sporting. They can they can have a bit of extra rest. You know what's wrong with Thursday and then Sunday afternoon? So basically, I just don't buy any of, of of their excuses. I just think they suck. I'm sick of it. They're just out of touch with reality, and it's it's it's, a, it's just a complete disgrace. And if you look at around the the leagues. Why doesn't why doesn't every other league do this? Why 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 can every other league manage to set their fixtures way ahead of schedule, even though they have teams in playing in Europe? You know what I mean. So none of their excuses really add up. The only thing it comes down to is they simply don't care. They simply don't care about anybody. Supporters just do not come into their thinking whatsoever. That's it. I've got nothing left to say about Liga Portugal. 
that's the rant for this week. We're going to take a real quick break and come back with a piece of trivia. Feeling when you're walking along the road, you hand them back to your humble abode, but you don't want to go because you know that out there somewhere there's a woman that you love to know. You're dragging your feet behind you. Yeah, you're wishing that someone will find you. Why you're still slipping sleep buttons over inside of you. You know what? That's right, you hide you. Smoking, hoping that if the mother wise going to work out without a hitch. You don't put your needle and thread base in and you ain't yet made a stitch. All right, Tom, new segment. I quite like this actually, this one's uh, instigated by our producer Mel, and uh, well I had to come up with a topic Tom, so I'm going to be the quiz master, and you are going to be the contestant. Now this is one of the clubs I went to, one of the new stadiums I knocked off uh, this season, Felgatish. Uh, and of course this is another club Tom that is, uh, has come out of the, uh, the remnants of, of a club that's run into the ground by uh, terrible owners and terrible management. Uh, basically just went bankrupt. Huge financial problems, and now we have a new club. I don't know how many of these are around, Tom. I know uh, Estrella de Amadora is one. I know Canelish is another one. Uh, they're all over the place. That's off the top of my head, but Felgatish is another one. So the new name of this club is FC Felgatish 1932. They were founded in 2006, as I said, after the previous club went bankrupt. So, Tom... Let's see how good your knowledge of Falgatish is. So they got promoted to the top flight in the mid-90s, Tom. Who was the manager that did it? No idea at all. Uh, so mid-90s, give me a clue. He talks a lot. Talks a lot. Uh, Fernando Santos? No, he's, he's moved around a lot of different leagues. Uh, he talks a lot. He moves around different leagues. He's Portuguese, yeah? He's Portuguese. yeah? Just Wilder Ferreira? Uh, he, he's no. very controversial, Tom. He tends to say a lot of things that are quite controversial. Carlos Queiroz? He's, he's, he's got a very holy name. name. <laughs> oh my God. I, don't, I don't know if you get applause <laughs> for that one, Tom, but we got there in the end. Yeah, Mitchell Jesus. He led Felgatish to the top flight in the mid-90s. Now, this one is going to be very tough, Tom, but there were three former players for Felgatish. Now, they only played one season each, but each of them managed to earn 50 or more caps for the seller South. One of them, uh, one of them is retired. One of them is a yeah. manages a Portuguese top flight club, and the other one is actually still active as a player. Manages a Portuguese club, Sergio Conceição. Sergio Conceição, yep. One. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. The other two are central defenders. Ah, uh, maybe Ricardo Carvalho. No. Can you go there? No. Uh, Fernando Cotto. You got the first name right. Fernando. Central defender, Fernando. He's not Cotto. 50 caps. Here, this particular Fernando, 54 caps for Portugal. Uh, How are you going at home, kids? Let me give you a clue then. So he played in Germany. He played in Turkey. He played in ah, Russia. Of course, it's the... Yeah, he played for Stuttgart. Won the championship. Uh, Meira. Fernando Meira. Very good. And there's one more, still active. So he's obviously going to be super old and uh, still playing somewhere. 50 caps. He's actually got exactly 50 caps for Portugal. Should, this shouldn't be too hard, Tom. Uh, exactly 50 caps, still playing. Uh, so he must be, what, late 30s still playing in Not Portugal, in Portugal, no. Uh, he's 39. So he played with Pep quite a bit. Ah, uh, Bruno Alves? Tom, Tom, Tom. Played for, played for three different Premier League clubs. Ah, three different Premier League. I said Ricardo Carvalho, didn't I? But no, he's not playing anymore. Jose Font. 
That's, yeah. that, was, that was actually pretty difficult. Uh, it's interesting, yeah, yeah. What you know, it's a small club like that, and had some, uh, <coughs> you know, really big Portuguese figures. Yeah, all of them one season. I think two of them were just on loan. Um, but I thought that was a little bit of an interesting trivia. It, it was, it wasn't too easy, but uh, interesting to see how the uh, how some of the listeners maybe we've got, maybe we've got a Falgatish supporter out there, Tom, that just went, "What are you doing, Condit? What's happening?" Fel- <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I'll have to come up with something else. I don't know. I'll, I'll try and hook it up to some club that I've been to try and uh, come up with something for next week's trivia. So, um, well, that's it. I'm sure we've gone over time. So producer Mel's going to have her work cut out, chopping all that up. Really interested to see what she does with the, with the show, Tom. She talked about introducing a lot more stings. Now, apparently stings is like a, a radio term for like little audio things you throw in there to sort of, you know, break things up and have little intros of things. So, uh, again, another sort of professional jingles. jingles, yeah. So another sort of thing that I'm extremely unfamiliar with. So uh, yeah, really interested to see what she does and how she sort of gets all this ready for the listeners. Actually, we're going to go to the cellar sale, don't we? We're going to quickly touch on the cellar sale. Tom, we saw Fernando Santos wiped out. He's gone. Roberto Martinez. Oh, man. So I saw him at uh, Belgium. I'll never forget that press conference after the loss against... Oh, they beat Canada, but they should have lost, where Kevin De Bruyne was uh, was next to Roberto Martinez, and that was just unbelievable tension there. You could tell that De Bruyne didn't want to have anything to do with Roberto Martinez. But as I wrote in that article, Tom, Jose Mourinho was their first choice. Uh, he didn't take the job, and they went with Roberto Martinez. So what's your, what were your initial thoughts and how are you feeling about it now? Yeah, well, I think the initial thoughts, like everyone here in Portugal, it's a big, big surprise, wasn't it? Bolt out of the blue. I think it was no surprise that they went for Jose Mourinho, uh, even though when Roberto Martinez was uh, presented, uh, of course, the, the president of the FBF, Fernando Gomez, he made a point of saying he was the only manager we made a concrete offer to. And of course, Jose Mourinho, being Jose Mourinho, I think the very next day, Roma played. And in the post-match press conference, which had nothing to do with the Portuguese national team, of course, he uh, basically uh, you know, negated this and said he'd like to thank the Portuguese, uh, you know, the head of the Portuguese Football Federation, Fernando Gomes, will offer him the job. But he said it just wasn't the right time for him. So <laughs> I think he said something like, I wasn't the first choice, I was the only choice. So, you know, <laughs> typical Mourinho there, uh, you know, caught in controversy. But yeah, it's an interesting choice, isn't it? You know, first of all, it really, I think, took everyone by surprise. And they kind of said, well, you know, what's this? What You know, so many good Portuguese coaches all around the world, quite a few of them, still available, you know, people like uh, Andre Villas-Boas, maybe even Paulo Souza, you know, he's got uh, experience at international management. Uh, but uh, then I started thinking about it a little more and I think, you know, maybe it's not a bad choice because I think the problem or the perceived problem with Fernando Santos towards the latter part of his career, uh, you know, of his time as Portugal coach, whether it was unjustified or not, you can argue, but was 
that the idea was that he was just a little bit too conservative, a little bit too uh, too much of a defensive coach, not not very attacking, basically. When you look at Portuguese, uh, you know, the Portuguese squad, and you, you, you know, most they've got so much exciting attacking talent, haven't they? And the thought, you know, the thinking, I suppose, is that maybe uh, Roberto Martinez will be able to, you know, get the most out of this uh, attacking, or you know, adopt a slightly more attacking style of play to get the most out of these players. So yeah, you know, well, I'm all for giving, uh, you know, him his a chance. The FPF. Have, slapped him uh, slapped straight down a, a four-year contract so i suppose that shows they've got some faith in him uh and uh yeah let's wait let's wait and see um he did in of course in the fall belgium uh it was a little bit underwhelming this season but his overall record for belgium i think wasn't bad you know again that's quite another the a cause of a lot of discussion. Some people say he underachieved, looking at the talent they had. Other people say this is, you know, that, that they just played some brilliant football over over his time as their manager. So yeah, let's let's wait and see. I'm actually quite excited. It's also interesting. Again, uh, okay, Matt talking about a little bit of inside information at his uh, unveiling at the. Uh, hang on, football. hang on. You got inside information, Tom. Which was interesting because uh, after he was uh, unveiled officially, so first of all, Fernando Gomez spoke for about five minutes and then he himself fielded questions to Roberto uh, Martinez for about 10, 15 minutes. And it's very interesting at the end of the the press conference, there wasn't too many people there, Matt. I was was quite surprised. There was maybe about... 15 journalists, 15 or so, or 15, 20 or so. But afterwards, he, uh, you know, he came off the, you know, the stage, the pedestal. He came round and, you know, he shook the hands of every journalist who was there, had a little chat to them. Uh, and so, you know, the charm offensive, I suppose you could say, started on day one of his <laughs> tenure. So, yeah, let's see. Let's see, uh, you know, of course, like everything, like all football management jobs, international club, whatever, everything will be dictated by results. But yeah, I'm, I have to say, I'm moderately excited about this uh, this appointment. To start off with, I was flabbergasted, and right now I'd say I'm quite excited. <laughs> well, intrigued, maybe, is the, is, the, is the right word. I like that inside information, Tom, that was good. He's using all his, uh, all his experience on and off the pitch, eh? Um, it'll be good for me yeah. too. I mean, my Portuguese is, is getting a lot better, but um, I'm assuming he'll have to answer my questions in English, which should be good. Um, and um, yeah, he's been going to a lot of games, hasn't he? He's been he's been getting out there. I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, he was in Braga not long ago, and um, you know, checking out a lot of these players uh, firsthand. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does to see if he brings up any new guys to see how he uses what's already there and this is basically the same as santosh i mean the fpf have made their decision you just got to go with it and hope for the best really give him a chance as i said i mean from what i saw at the world cup that wasn't good at all but yeah that was obviously right at the end of the run i'm pretty sure he and the players knew that he wasn't going to manage the the team after the uh, after the world cup so you just got to go with it just got to go with it hope for the best of course we've got the uh European Championship qualifiers, they starting, the first one starts in about five, six weeks. 
at home to Liechtenstein. So a really tough game to 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 start off with there. And we've got uh, <laughs> a whole a whole campaign, isn't it? The you know I think I can never, I can't remember an easier group, you know, at least theoretically. Yeah, Iceland are just group. not what they were. Uh, the other teams is Bosnia Herzegovina. They're also not really what they were, and Slovakia. So yeah, I mean on paper it looks really winnable. And uh, I mean I just bashed Liga Portugal for their ridiculous, um, you know, the way they 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 schedule and release the release the fixtures. But we've got to give. FPF a whole lot of credit here, Tom. And they are notoriously bad, but they came out here and just, you know, released all the uh, the venues straight away for every single home game. How good is that? Is this un- that's unprecedented, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, is it? Surely. They must be. I think they must. I think they must listen to our podcast. Well, yeah, I think maybe we're getting through, Tom. You're well, this is, you know, you, we got we got you know we got maybe we've got some insiders. Maybe we've got some people at, at the FPF, you know pulling some strings that uh, we got some effect over, but <laughs> who knows? But no, I mean, I've got to give a shout out when people are actually doing things well. I certainly didn't uh, anticipate them doing that. I had a fairly good idea where the uh, the game in the Algarve would be, but, um, you know, that's pretty easy to predict. But fair play, FPF, good job. Let's see if you can um, get your act together with uh, some other stuff that you're notoriously slow and bad at. So um, fantastic. Let's see what happens with the Celosal. And uh, let's see what happens with Mr. Roberto Martinez. All right, now it's time to end the show, Tom. And uh, yeah, it's going to take a little while for me to get back up to, I guess, or not back up to, to get to some sort of professional level. I mean, one thing I just wanted to say was that, um, I guess, talking about the Celisau and putting this podcast slowly, little baby steps from, from the amateur level into the professional level, is that I learned a whole lot from Qatar, Tom. Learned a whole lot. Every Every international tournament I go to, I walk away and I just feel like I've learned some things about, you know, the way things work, the way things work in the media world, the way things work with, with teams and squads and managers and all this stuff. And, um, I mean, of course, we, we did that podcast after every game. We talked about a whole lot of stuff there. I'm assuming a, a lot of people listening to us now would have listened to those, so I don't have to go over them again. But um, I think I just wanted to go on record and just admit that I think I let myself down a bit. I think what I did was I just let all that negative sort of bullshit kind of affect me, um, whether it be comments and whether it be stuff on Twitter or other places you sort of hear it. Um, and I was also actually affected because Australia were almost in the same boat. You had a lot of journalists in Australia or even ex-players just bashing Graham Arnold so hard because, you know, they, they qualified the hard way. They had a few difficult results. And so what you had there was you had Robbie Slater, who was uh, it was an ex-player too, who was also in the journalist world, and he basically just slammed some of these commentators, just calling them out for the hypocrites that they are, you know. On what, before the tournament starts, they're slamming the, the manager, saying that they should sack him and he should get sacked. And then guess what happens? You know, Australia go to the World Cup, they play pretty well, they defy a lot of expectations, took, took um, Argentina really close um, in, I guess, round of 16. And then, so all those same people are, are loving the manager now. And and so, you know, I was affected by that as well. And that, I think, affected how I was thinking about the Portugal situation and Santos and that. So, just wanted to go on record and say that I wasn't really proud of much of my work there. I'm pretty happy with the podcast stuff. But I'm really now going to 100%, you know, my, my New Year's resolution is just to, just to ignore it all. Ignore it all. And um, just keep doing what I'm doing. Because it did... I think creep into my work, which I'm not not too proud of, and it was unnecessary. So I just wanted to get that out of the way, 
and to sort of, I guess, put that on the record and uh, move on. I mean, we're going professional, Tom. You know what I mean? We're going to make it happen. Proud to report that it's going to be producer Mel doing a lot of my tweeting now. You know, I don't think that the old producer did a particularly good job. I mean, I do some of the tweets, but, you know, as you know, Tom, when you're super successful, the amount of notifications you get are just unmanageable, aren't they? So you need a bit of help here. You'll be hiring a few, uh, you know, you'll be hiring a whole team. Well, you know, now uh, we're going we're gonna to be exactly. on all the platforms, you know, we're going to need people to manage these sorts of things. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, Tom. Anyway, it's been good catching up with you again, my friend. I'll see you soon. And uh, take it easy, yeah? Yeah, good stuff, Matt. Look forward to the new era of producing. The new era. I hope hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast. If you've got any suggestions, any features you want us to do, any clubs you want us to take a look at, then be sure to get in touch and let us know what you want us to do. Okay, we're out of here. Take it easy, everybody. See ya. Joey, I get a need for the seed, then agree for a fee. I plead to myself. You don't need it, the shit slows you down. You gotta supersede it, but it can be hard when you're sitting at home. You're bored off, you touch your friends, offer you a little bit, you think to yourself. Why will I do to me the stuff could tie me down or it could set me free? But that's a gamble, the risk you take, you gotta roll the dice. You try it once, you're gonna smoke it twice. Hoochie coochies like a lead into an amplifier. You turn it on, you light it up, it's gonna take you higher. Louder. It's all the way to 11, it's just a little smoke with tough when you were skunk falling heaven and hell. Smells real good, the hit makes you feel good. Feels you are just like a home cooked meal would. Think Coordination, extra imagination, but destroy your motivation. Well, at least that's what the shit can do to me. Sometimes I'ma have a smoke at home alone and try to think of more rhymes. It don't work, the words don't flow where well, they linger and lurk in the dark, but don't show. Then I try to go to bed, but the words are in my head. Then ding dong, I get a broad idea. I'm gonna slap on some miles. The man's soft on the ear, cause he soothes and cruises. He always chooses the pure and perfect note. The man's an antidote for cool, calm, collected sleep. Ain't gonna be no counting sheep When I wanna get deep, get deep I did so much